1: All right, welcome back to the When To Jump podcast. I still have a scratchy voice, and my name is Mike Lewis, and I don't know what to tell you. I guess I thought that when I finished Dubai, my voice would magically come back, but when you do several dozen events in just a couple months, it might take a little bit longer. That won't stop me from sending you into an amazing conversation I had with Sam Altman, who is the president of Y Combinator. Many may know of Y Combinator. Uh, some may not. Y Combinator is uh, one of the most prestigious tech and startup accelerators in the world. So they literally enable thousands of jumps to be made by providing some capital, resources, and mentorship to people who want to change the world, people who want to jump. Now Sam goes into depth about a practical tip. It doesn't start big. So I remember with When to Jump, You know, we now have a lot of things in the air. We have a podcast, obviously, you're listening to it, thank you. We have a book, we have a festival, we even have a learning program that we started that I've talked a bit about, which is awesome, but it all started a lot earlier, and I think it started by solving a problem, which is, let's make a space for people to come together and share the things they want to do. Everything else would come, but as Sam will explain on the When to Jump podcast today, let's start small. Here now, Sam Altman, Y Combinator president on my show, When to Jump, as my guest today.
2: Tell me a bit about how you found your way to Y
3: Combinator. I'd love to know the story there. I was a student at the time. Uh, This was sort of before startups were a common career path. Uh, And so there weren't all the resources uh, and and they weren't just kind of part of the mindset. But I I was working on this project uh, for fun and because I was interested in it. Um, And the project I was working on uh, was location-based software for cell phones. And someone that lived with me in my freshman dorm uh, then told me about this thing called Y Combinator. And I had heard of Paul Graham, I had followed some of his writing online, uh, and he and three other people had started this thing called the Summer Founders Program, where they were gonna give people some money to work on a project. And I I had a project that I wanted to work on. I had a, a job lined up for that summer that I wasn't particularly excited about. Uh, and so it just seemed like a really cool thing to do.
2: Describe, I guess, what you had read on Paul and what that conversation was like when you reached out for those who might not you know, know about what he was doing.
3: Yeah. So he, it was like a post and it said, you know, we're going to do this thing called the summer founders program. And if you have a startup, uh, or if you have a, a piece of software you want to make into a startup, we're going to give you some funding and some advice, but it was very clear at the time. It's like, this is experimental. It may not work. We're not sure how it's going to go, but, uh you know, send us an email with answers to these questions. And, you know, if we like it, if we like the idea, we'll give you some money. And
2: what year was this? 2005. So you're like 20, 21 years old or 20 years old, probably thinking, okay, how do I not get down that path I'm supposed to be going down right now?
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, what you're, what you're told to like, at, at least what the sort of the peer pressure at, at my school was, was that like, you want to go work in banking or consulting or at Google. Those were kind of like the, the cool options at the time. For you, was it scary to you know to even apply
2: or to think of not doing that path? Or was it like, I just got to get out of those three buckets of working for a
3: tech giant, banking or consulting? You know, one of the advantages of being a college student is that your life is like a college student's life. You're not used to anything that luxurious, you don't need a lot of money, you don't need, uh, you're just like, life has not yet gotten in the way. And so there is kind of an easy decision because the downside was so limited. And you know, I was used to living in a little dorm room. So I didn't (laughs) need a lot of money. What was the hardest part starting out? I know a lot of people have an idea
2: and there's a lot of sexiness to getting going and and taking that idea into a business. When you actually get into uh, working with Paul and you decide to go forward, what was that experience like and what did you learn?
3: Well, again, it was it was a very different time. It was startups had not yet become sort of this relatively mainstream thing. And so the hardest part was convincing other people that it wasn't crazy. You know, it's it's very hard to do something really hard by yourself. You have to hire people, you have to, you know, get people to invest in you and work with you and a whole bunch of other things. And now it's not considered a it's not even considered a non-conventional thing. But at the time, it really was, and that was that was probably the hardest part. You end up
2: having an opportunity to get more involved with Y Combinator. Uh, you are faced with a decision to, I guess, continue being an entrepreneur or maybe go help build other companies and work with other entrepreneurs. What was that transition like?
3: You know, I, I wanted to sort of have the biggest net positive impact on the world that I could. And for me, it was really thinking there were a couple of particular companies I wanted to start, or there was... Uh, running YC. And, you know, I think we won't know for sure for another decade or so, but I think I, I just thought the opportunity to have an impact by developing YC was really big.
2: And for those who don't know, could you give folks the most simple version of what Y Combinator's mission is for the world right now?
3: Yeah, we we want to generate as much innovation as we can and make the future really good for everybody. Uh, I think we, we really believe that startups are a way to do this. Uh, and that I think we are in desperate need of generating real economic growth in the country again.
2: And some of the, you know, big names that have come out of Y Combinator—same um, as probably being modest—but if you've ever stayed at Airbnb or used something like Dropbox or you had Zenefits for your health insurance or uh, worked with a company that that is powered by Stripe, you have worked with companies that have, uh, way back in the day, partnered with y- YC on funding and resources to grow. So. They are certainly leading the charge in a lot of different ways. Sam, when you look at companies, what are you, what are you, what are you aiming for to achieve? Not only obviously on the economic, uh, economic side, but, but what is the criteria you bring to the table when you look at any potential opportunity to invest in a company?
3: So in the current world, I mentioned things have changed now, and uh, we've gone from it being considered very crazy to start a startup to very conventional. And one negative that that's had is that it has become harder and harder to stand out. It is easier to start a hard startup than it is to start an easy startup. And I think it's really important that you do something that is going to break through the noise that people are going to care about, that will let, let you recruit, uh, that will let you get the press to care, that people want to come join you as investors or partners on the mission. So one, thing, one new thing that I look for uh, is things that I think are missions that are going to excite people that do have a real positive impact on the world such that people want to join and want to be part of it.
2: And in the last class of of companies, you go through two, what you call batches a year, correct? Yep. What was the kind of number of applications to those who that uh, ended up getting into the program and funded by YC?
3: You know, I don't know the exact numbers, but something on the order of like 7,500 applied for 130 spots.
2: And the Term lasts how long, and and what's kind of the day-to-day? How close are you working
3: with these folks? So the program officially runs for kind of like three months, but in practice, you know, these companies are part of the network forever, and I spend probably more than half my time working with companies that have graduated from the program more than a year ago.
2: Do you ever step back and say, oh, these are common threads behind the Types of founders we backed, the CEOs were behind uh, as far as what they were doing before to what they're doing now in their startup?
3: We talk a lot about how important determination is as a personality trait of a founder. You know, the the world is so against you so much of the time, and you're trying to do this thing that is just so incredibly hard. You really do need to sort of be an outlier when it comes to determination. And there's a whole bunch of other skills that you need as well, uh, but that usually, but not always, usually a trait that you see in people's earlier lives, you know, whatever, whatever situation they were born into, whatever hand life dealt them, um, they were sort of an outlier when it comes to determination for that set of circumstances.
2: Do you have any memorable conversations that stick in your mind as you go through some of those pitches, Uh, you know, whether they were successful outcomes, ultimately, or not that, that you said, wow, we've got to be behind this founder?
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, people talk about like, we, we find a lot of companies that are in from other parts of the world where there's sort of different legal systems and different policing systems and it often I think very corrupt and protects entrenched interests which startups are often going against and so you know you hear the stories about what people were doing to kind of operate their company in the face of all this corruption and like running from what sound like very evil police that are trying to unfairly advantage their friends that you know, competitors or whatever. Um, yeah, the stories are, are totally, totally crazy.
2: And maybe that goes to the determination piece, right? Where it's like, you know, someone coming from a country with corruption and with, you know, low infrastructure to get to even be considered is, I feel like, taking several jumps just to get to the table, right? Totally. how big is too big do you ever think okay that's actually not possible have you ever been stumped by someone who had a mission that was just bigger than what you think could
3: be possible well, well certainly you very often have to find a small thing to start with almost always so we love it when we hear someone that has a hyper ambitious idea and a version one you know smallest possible subset identified that they can build in two weeks
2: and talk a little bit about failure, you know, people that are taking a risk and going for it, whether it's in technology or elsewhere, are bound to hit that. Uh, what have you seen from, from that experience personally and then also in the fact that the game you're playing is, you know, a lot of these ideas maybe won't kind of get to where they're supposed to get to?
3: Look, failure sucks for sure. It's not fun. Uh, it's not what anyone wants. Um, I think Silicon Valley is good about tolerating failure. Uh, it's still much, much better not to fail. But, you know, a failure is not held against you. You can fail and then do something the second time that works and that's totally fine. There's not this sort of like, I think in a lot of other industries or a lot of other places around the world, um, you know, a single failure is disastrous and embarrassing and bad for your reputation. And, you know, here people just kind of move on and try to have short memories.
2: (laughs) You've taught a course called How to Start a Startup you bring in some really interesting folks and, and walk folks through that exact process uh, for students in the class. Were there any kind of insights or, or tidbits of knowledge from folks that you brought in, Guess you had, that surprised you that you didn't already know when you were putting together that curriculum?
3: You know, one of the things that was so fun for me about that, and I think even fun for the other speakers who watched each other's uh, lectures, is people did so much work preparing that they were multiple insights in every lecture that have stuck with me and that I've repeated you know, dozens of times to other founders since. One, one recent one was uh, the way that Adam D'Angelo talked about how to know if you have growth that's going to work out or if you're just going to burn through a bunch of users who don't stick around. And he had this analogy of setting a fire in you know, the middle of a field that burns out as sort of a concentric circle uh, to the edges of the field and how it looks like the fire is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger but because it's not staying lit for the initial users it's going to burn out and that analogy for whatever reason is really stuck in my mind and something I've shared with a lot of founders since
2: that's really cool you talk a little bit about building products and and how to think about growth for those who aren't you know product uh types who aren't experts in product, technical founders, things like that, and are thinking about getting into technology to solve a need, is that, you know, is that impossible? And if, if not, why, why is it not impossible for those who don't have the experience as a background?
3: We, we, we like companies that have at least one technical founder, because without that, it's just, it's really hard to even do a good job of evaluating who to hire. Um, and, you know, that's not the way everyone thinks about the world. And that's not the way every investor thinks, and that's okay with us, but that is part of our model and something that we look for. If you are a uh,
2: you know sitting at your desk or, or, or commuting to work right now, listening to this show, talking about taking a technology um, product or concept and and getting funded, whether it's YC or elsewhere, and it's really just an idea in your head. Uh, what's the most useful thing to do next? Is it to start sketching a plan? Is it to find that co-founder if you're not technical? What would you say, you know, based on your experience seeing this story?
3: You know, the, the sooner you can build a version one and get some feedback on it, the sooner you can actually be engaging with users about a real product, the better off you are. But I think it is never a mistake to talk to potential users.
2: What is the biggest mistake you see, uh, whether it's YC backed companies or companies in general that are starting out?
3: Hmm. Waiting too long to launch, uh, not talking to users, not listening to users enough. There's plenty of people who talk to users but don't listen to them and think they're doing the right thing but still aren't. People seem to be obsessed with, with growth. How do you balance doing
2: something right and learning and making those early mistakes with accelerating and
3: growing? Yeah, look, I mean, I think the way to grow really fast is to make things better. There are certainly uh, very famous examples where people get this wrong. Um, But the mindset that I have is you want to optimize for growth over the next 10 years, not the next sort of three weeks. And if you think about that, I think it generally leads to the right decisions.
2: I think that's in line with with the motto of Y Combinator, which is make something people want, right? Yeah. Figure that part out and the growth will come. Totally. On a personal note, what other things do you do for fun? When you're not trying to change the world and, and invest in startups across the board?
3: Um, honestly, it's, it's fairly boring. I like to hang out with my friends, uh, you know, hike, do stuff outdoors, <laughs> travel. It's, it's, it's relatively boring. What are you reading right now? Uh, I am rereading uh, The Making of the Atomic Bomb, which I read a while ago. And there was uh, like one particular part I wanted to reread and it got me back into the whole book. It's great. <laughs> For those who haven't read it yet, what could they expect by diving
2: into The Making of the Atomic Bomb?
3: Um, a lot of good lessons about how to do very complicated, very uncertain projects.
2: All right. So a little lightning round here. What's the most
3: impactful book that you've read in your life or maybe top three if you had to choose? You know, I can't, I can't even narrow that to the top three. (laughs) This is a good one. Making of the Atomic Bomb is top of mind. That's definitely, um, worth a read, but I, I have been very fortunate to have read a lot of great books. I can't, I can't even pick three. What do you do every morning? What's your routine? You know, I don't. There are all these people that have these like great morning routines where they, you know, meditate and exercise and think about their goals and you know study, read a whole textbook or whatever. Um, I just get up and immediately start working. It's the the first couple of hours of the morning are my most productive time of the day. Um, I don't let anyone schedule things. Then um, I just try to get up and you know knock out whatever's the top of my to do list. And how do you decide what's at the top of the to do list? How do you prioritize? That is hard. I try to, I think like I try to not do unimportant things, which I think is a mistake that most people make. So I I really just try to be ruthless about saying, here's the things that I got to get done. And I don't, I probably don't prioritize among those perfectly, but I try to be good about not doing, not letting other things get on the list.
2: Who do you go for, for advice?
3: Uh, You know, one of the things that I feel really privileged about is that the YC partnership is an exceptional set of people. incredibly lucky to work with them. I think the reason that YC does so well is that we just have such a great group of partners. And so I've never had a problem that someone in the YC partnership doesn't have an answer to.
2: What would you hope your legacy is uh, both in Y Combinator and and hopefully in the world?
3: You know, I'm 32. I'll think about that in 30 years.
2: Figured I would try to sneak that in a little earlier than the the 30 years down the road question. But what's your biggest challenges when you when you think about uh, what's stopping you? Is it is it is it in business? Is it YC? Is it is it AI? What keeps you up at night?
3: Well, I think that there are lots of challenges. There's, you know, lots of day to day challenges running any company, no matter how well it's doing. Um, I'm and I'm definitely worried about how to build safe AI. You know, I think the current situation, what's going on in the country, uh, takes up a lot more of my mental cycles than than I wish. But figuring out like the technology industry is going, it already has and will continue to, you know, be such a profound shift in the world. How 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 do we still make sure that you know the American experiment works for everybody? That's a hard problem, and it's one that I think about a lot. And for those that are listening to the podcast and, and, again, have
2: something that they want to do, what would, um, you know, whether it's in technology or elsewhere, what would your advice be um,
3: maybe to end on here? You know, when I've had to make kind of the hard career decisions in life, the, the two f- frameworks that I use are um, impact maximization and regret minimization. Um, I want to have, at this point, I, would, I just. I, I want to have the biggest net positive impact on the world that I can, and I want to kind of try to not regret decisions I make and not not you know and I want to do the things that I want to do and that I find fun and interesting and fulfilling and work with people I want to work with so those are the two lenses that I try to think through um, because those are the two things that I've discovered I care about Uh, but I think other people have got to figure out their own.
2: Well, I think we'll end there. Uh, Sam Altman, the president of Y Combinator. Y Combinator, as of 2017, has invested in over 1,400 companies that truly are uh, making a difference in the world in a bunch of different ways. I really appreciate you joining me, sharing some of your personal insights, both in work and in life, here on the One to Jump podcast. Thanks for having me on.
1: All right, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Sam. Y Combinator, enabling jumps of all kinds in all different shapes and sizes all by solving a small problem first. And I just love that tip. I, uh, I think it applies to any jump you want to make, whether it's writing a book, opening a bakery, starting that tech company, whatever it may be. That will do it on the When to Jump podcast. You know where to find us, whentojump.com on social, which is at whentojump on Instagram. Uh, when to jump on facebook is just facebook.com slash when to jump twitter at when to jump Uh, we are cruising through our online learning program and we always love to hear from our listeners so if you have a jump to share we would love to hear it and play it here on the show coming up i've got two california events Thursday, April 5th, I'm going home to Santa Barbara. If there's any Santa Barbara listeners out there, join me at the Santa Barbara Athletic Club. And then a few weeks later, Thursday, April 26th, in the Marina District at Books Inc. on Chestnut Street in San Francisco. That's Thursday, April 26th in the Marina in San Francisco. I love meeting listeners to the podcast, so please come out if you're either in Santa Barbara, April 5th, or San Francisco, April 26th. That will do it on the When to Jump podcast. My name is Mike Lewis, and I will see you hopefully with a less hoarse voice next week.
0: Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing